Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The Rise of Deacons. This is episode 113 of Church and Maine. Hello and welcome to Church in Maine. This is the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. And I hope that you're enjoying these early, uh, wonderful days of autumn here in Minnesota. It seems like it went literally from 90 uh, one day to about 60 the next, but that is life in Minnesota. And I hope that you are having um, a great time of autumn as well. So Church in Maine is a podcast where we talk about religion and um, public affairs, and I am Dennis Sanders, your host. So in the Baptist churches of my youth, um, and even now today in many of the congregations of my own denomination, the Disciples of Christ, when you think about a deacon, they tend to be the people who are the ones that collect the offering and help with communion. And maybe in some cases, they'll help with some form of church government. I can remember my my dad was actually ordained a deacon into his Baptist congregation back in Michigan. And he was there. He was helping with communion offering, and he did provide some governance in, in that local congregation. When I got older, especially as I went to seminary and got ordained, um, I started to see that other traditions had a very different understanding of the role of deacon than what I grew up with. Not that the role that my dad did or or others weren't, were somehow bad or anything, but this, what I was seeing in these traditions was different. In Methodist and Episcopal and Lutheran traditions, I started to see that the the deacon was, was an office, was kind of a role in the church, just like a pastor, except that their ministry was a little bit different from pastors. It was focused more on acts of service, whereas pastors were focused on preaching and sacraments. In fact, the word deacon comes from uh, the Greek word diakonos, which means service or to serve. Now, this understanding of the role of a deacon, which in some ways actually adheres more to the original understanding that you would find in, in the book of Acts and in the early church, is not always so easily understood by people, especially people in the pew, who, frankly, they see a deacon who does some similar things like pastors and wonder, well, when are you actually going to be a pastor? So today I am talking to Nina Joygard. She is a a deacon um, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. That is one of the traditions that does have um, deacons. 
and she's currently the Deacon for Adult Ministry at Faith Lutheran Church in Forest Lake, Minnesota. Now, I happen to know Nina actually because we work together. We are on staff at Faith together. Um, I'm the communications manager there. And I've been fascinated for a long time about the how Lutherans and other traditions view a deacon. And I really have been um, trying to and wanting to talk to her about this for a while. And so um, thankfully she agreed and we had a great discussion a few days ago. And in this interview, we talk about the importance of deacons in the local church, what led Nina to her call as a deacon, uh, the struggles that deacons face, and the future for the diaconate in the church. I think that you will enjoy this discussion, and hopefully it will expand your understanding of the different parts uh, and aspects of the local congregation. So, Let's listen to this discussion with Nina Joygard. So thank you, Nina, for taking the time to, to chat today. Of course, it's a pleasure to be here. I think probably the first thing we want to do is kind of define the term of deacon. Um, I think yeah. first, maybe just ask how, um, what is the role of deacon kind of historically in the, the kind of the wider church, but then what does it mean within um, um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? Yeah, well, um, I always joke that deacons are are set aside in the Bible, but pastors aren't. <laughs> uh, in Acts six, uh, deacons are called to wait on tables uh, for the for the widows who are foreign speaking foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, so the call to deacon in the in the Lutheran Church we talk about word and service ministry um, really is to like the outsider, those on the edge, the periphery, whatever that looks like. Um, yeah, so I mean, it goes back to biblical times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it has looked so many different ways. Um, a lot, you know, early on, there was folks set aside to kind of do that caretaking. Um, and it it has been an official office of the church, you know, since the church existed, basically. Every iteration of the church interprets it a little differently, Um so it's really, it's really an interesting kind of topic. I think everyone who's connected to the church or even, you know, in a culture that has a lot of Christianity, like has a very good sense of what a pastor is. Um, that's pretty accurate, but what a deacon is who, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, it, it's, it's the, the sky's the limit kind Mm -hmm. of, you know? Um, and so, there really is, there really is so many interpretations and understandings of it. The church I grew up in, we had deacons, and deacons were lay volunteers who delivered communion to the homebound. Okay. Right? So still that same, um, it's that same vein, right? It is the, those on the periphery, those who have a special need, um, but it didn't require like going to seminary mm-hmm. <laughs> or going through a candidacy process um, 
through a local synod, which is, you know, the kind of deacon that I am. So there, there's just such a different, um, there's so many different understandings of it. It's very interesting, I think. Uh, and I think what ties it all together is that service that um, really like a lot of times it's sort of humble service mm -hmm. um, on the outskirts of things. So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers all your questions. You had a compound question. <laughs> well, the second half of that is kind of what, um, kind of the, what is being a deacon in the Lutheran tradition been all about her and um, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know the history super well. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say that I'm not like a history buff, but um, in the, in the United States, um, communities of deaconesses from Germany and Norway kind of came here and transferred the work that they were doing in their um, country of origin to this place. Okay. And at, at the time of that great immigration from Northern Europe, um, women couldn't be pastors. Um, if you were Protestant and you felt a call to religious life, religious leadership, being a deaconess was what you could do as a woman. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very interesting that a lot of that work, um, a lot of the history of the deaconess community in the United States is, is that it's hospitals, it's social service outreach, um, it's working with marginalized communities, people in poverty, that sort of thing. Um, and over the years, I mean, I would say in the last 30 years, what the diaconate has looked like in the evangelical Lutheran church has changed like three times. <laughs> so there's, there's a constant, um, and I just actually, I just re read that there's like a task force to look at candidacy in general and mm -hmm. reevaluate what that process looks like for people. So um, there's a, there's a constant reinvention and reflection on what, what it is and what it should look like. But um, for us here in the United States, the most, the most recent iteration is um, taking all of these word and service little buckets, you know, um, 15 years ago, we had the deaconess community, we had associates in ministry, we had diaconal ministers, um, all with the same call to word and service that all had to do a different checklist to get um, to get through the candidacy doors um, and just unifying all of those onto one roster of the church mm. with the title of deacon um, because because the call is the same. So, and with that, I, you know, now knowing that kind of history within um, the LCA, I'm kind of curious what what led you to become deacon um obviously probably the yeah. answer you've been asked a lot of times is why not a pastor so i'm kind of yeah. just curious what what made you think deacon um so when i um my first like real job my first real job was doing youth ministry i had no training <clears throat> i went to a public school studied science, had never taken a religion or theology class at all. 
I didn't even ever attend a church that had a paid staff person do youth ministry. Um, but I had that job and I sort of thought, you know, I really like this. I'm really good at it. Uh, I should probably learn what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> and, and I knew at that time that, um, there was like other things you could be in the church besides a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, well, okay, I'll start the candidacy process. Not really fully understanding what it was. Um, and um, for me, the, the, I would, I don't know. I just, how should I say this? One of the sort of cruxes of discernment around it was that I, um, I did CPE, which I did not have to do, but I wanted to do for the learning. And I worked in um, a children's home with middle school kids who were um, doing residential behavioral treatment. Hmm. That was where my chaplaincy was. And it was hard. It was really hard. I mean, um, there was a, I came in one day, there'd been an exorcism (laughs) before I got there. One of the kids had requested an exorcism from the staff chaplain. Um, I, yeah, I was trapped in a room with a kid who was spitting and throwing desks at one point. You know, it was just a very tough, emotional place. And it was so good to be there. Um, I really felt called to that edge, to that edge place. Um, it wasn't standing behind the altar mm-hmm. <laughs> that I felt was like the really important thing to do. The really important thing to do was to listen to these kids tell their story about just the incredible pain that they had lived through um, and to see them and be with them as they tried to process and make sense of that. So um, for me, that really was a, a really big discerning moment of like, this is hard. This is really hard. And this is a really important place to be as a, as a church person. Um, Yeah. I always felt that being a pastor would hold me back Hmm. from the ministry that I am most called to do Mm -hmm. um, because there is such a tight box around pastors. You, you have to lead worship. You've got to preach. You've got to lead Bible study. You've got to visit the elderly and all of those things are good. Those are all good things. (laughs) Um, But I felt for me that that would hold me back from like what God really wants me to be. Mm. So, so you can, it was hard. We, we live in a world that, that loves pastors. Oh yes. (laughs) And, and, uh, and I, I, you know, I love pastors are great. It's fine. But um, it, it was hard. To, it was difficult to get through seminary and sort of stick to my guns because I had classmates and professors and, you know, all kinds of people say, but you're a good preacher. Why would you be a deacon? You know, so it's like, well, word, word. and service. <laughs> say, did, did it, were you not listening to word and service? You got, um, the whole thing about being a pastor in the in the Lutheran church, mm-hmm. at least in our understanding, is about sacraments. Yes, so it is. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't, you know, uh, it's it's not a special gift of the uh, 
of the pastor folk only. Mm -hmm. So, um, which I hope that that's, I hope that pressure is changing um, because for me, being able to serve as a deacon is a great joy. So. Well, that kind of leads to the question. I mean, what have been the challenges of, you know, following that path of into the diaconate? Because it's, you know, I, I would think that one of the things that would be uh, thought of is that it's considered a, a lesser path as opposed to being a pastor and of other things and not seeing it really as a unique um, and important ministry of its own. Right. Yeah. I mean, a month ago, someone asked me if I was going to go into the ministry, um, meaning, are you going to become a pastor? And I had to explain, oh, I'm, I'm a deacon. And they said, well, aren't you going to go to seminary? And I said, I already went, <laughs> I already went to seminary. So, um, you know, you kind of, I think I'm, um, some people say stubborn, I say determined. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great uh, quality to have in this field because, because people often don't get it. And so to just be able to say, nope, this is me. This is, this is what God's called me to. Um, there, there is, there is a lot of that, like that you're not there yet. You're, you're still trying to figure it out if you're a deacon. And um, it doesn't help that there are many denominations where that is actually kind of how their process works. Mm -hmm. That if you want to be um, ordained pastor, you have to become a deacon as like an intermediary step. Um, which, you know, on one hand, scripture doesn't lay out how to have church offices and how, you know, how they should relate to one another. Um, but on the other, I, I feel strongly that, that having deacons who have, um, been called to that work specifically is really good for the church in the world. So, um, yeah. And the other thing I would say, you know, when I first, so I was, um, oh gosh, what, 2012, I think I was consecrated as a diaconal minister. Mm -hmm. um, and diaconal ministers did not have titles. So if you were a deaconess at that time, you could be referred to as sister. I could have been sister Nina. Um, and pastors obviously have a title and I did not have a title. Um, and so in some of the places that I served, a title would have been very helpful. I mm -hmm. think, um, it's just a language that, that clicks for us, even though when you say sister Nina, you're probably going to picture like a Catholic woman in a habit. <laughs> you at least have a picture, uh, and if you said diaconal minister, Nina, you're going to just probably furrow your bow, brow and say, uh, I'm hmm, not sure about that. And, you know, I used to joke with people like, if you don't know what a diaconal minister is, that's all right, as long as you're not Greek speaking. <laughs> because, I mean, to expect someone to know what a Greek word is and that we don't use mm -hmm. in our language um, except for this one place is, you know, is not fair. So once the ELCA unified the rosters and had the title of deacon for everyone, that has um, 
for me, at least in my experience, that has really changed how people understand. And even if they don't have a perfect idea of what it is, they, they, they at least know that there's, there's a title to go with it. And they have, mm-hmm. they have some sense of it, even if it's not totally accurate, they have that sense of service, hopefully from their understanding of, or seeing it in scripture. Um, yeah. And I mean, in my current um, congregation, when I first started, people didn't really, weren't really sure. And one of the things that we were very intentional about is that my colleague, um, John, people call Pastor John. So mm-hmm. I'd say, well, what, you know, what do you call him? Because if you call him, you know, Johnny boy, well, you probably don't need to be really, you know, really formal with me. But if you call him Pastor John, well, then you should refer to me as Deacon Mina. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that has really, um, that has really clicked on and people almost always call me Deacon Mina. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I think it is really helpful. I'm not a super formal person, but um, it means something. Mm-hmm. It does mean something. It clicks in people's minds a little bit that that I have an official role mm-hmm. that I have been trained and called to do in their midst. So, one of the it, when you, and you've talked about this, and I know that. Um, I've always noticed this when it comes to deacons as opposed to uh, ministers is that what we would call ordination, you're calling consecration. How would you explain the difference? Yeah. You know, and so now in the ELCA deacons are ordained. Okay. Um, my bishop, <laughs> when, when that first, first happened and they made this switch, she, she called all the deacons together and said, you're as good as ordained. You're sort of <laughs> in the system now. But but when I went through the process, they had different language and different rights for each of the, the four sort of tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that was confusing. I think that was confusing to people. And I don't know, you know, that was set out in 1993. Um, and I'm not, I am not familiar with what the thought process or reasoning was behind that. Um, so if I was going through seminary today, I would be ordained mm-hmm. okay. rather than consecrated. Um, but when I was, uh, you know, got my magic dust sprinkled over me, it was, uh, it was a consecration. <laughs> so what has been um, your experience in churches when people kind of, um, encounter you we've kind of talked about this a little bit but um have they um have there been a lot of cases where people just don't know what to how to how to deal with you yeah i mean um the most helpful thing is when people actually just talk to me or ask Mm -hmm. questions about it um so you know there we kind of mentioned before, like there, there are people who there's some confusion. I've, people have thought I'm an intern before. I was like, you're a pretty good preacher for an intern. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, or they think that I'm like on, on a step. And when you think about the hierarchical thing to, to 
maybe hopefully I'll be a pastor one day, which is not what I hope. Um, so, you know, sometimes there is that sort of preconceived um, idea or just misunderstanding about what a deacon is. Um, but I think what works best is just, you know, to name it and claim it and talk about it. Um, and so, you know, um, we, Pastor John and I, who I work with now, we've done some fun like dialogue sermons for Monday Thursday, talking about foot, foot washing and how that's, you know, a symbol of the diaconate and what it means. Um, you know, what, you know, all of our call is wrapped up in that one holy day, right? So having mm -hmm. that conversation about sacrament and the service component of that holy gathering of disciples um, and that like one isn't more important than the other uh, and both of them are really valuable and holy. Um, so that kind of thing is just, I think is really helpful for people just to hear it again and again and again. And anytime um, I get a chance to preach just because that's a one of the most public things um, you can do in congregational life where there's a deacon involved um, you name it right like mm -hmm. the the bible doesn't always say and then deacon philip did this but to name oh yeah remember this is philip who was a deacon um, is really helpful for people to hear that or be reminded of the history or the story that's that's in our um, sacred texts. So, so expand yeah. on what you just kind of mentioned Monday, Thursday. And I think that this is mm -hmm. crucial, um, to the role of deacon. Could you kind of expand on, on why that day is so important, um, for the diaconate? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the symbolism of the diaconate is the basin and towel, mm -hmm. right? So you think of Monday, <clears throat> Thursday, Jesus, humbly getting on his knees and washing the nasty feet of his disciples um, and wiping them off with the towel he wrapped around his own body, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this is this is not glorious, um, prideful work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, one of the things that, that the, the symbol of the of the deacon in worship is the, is the deacon stole, which goes cross crossways. Not every tradition has this, um, this, this is a newer, um, newer symbol in the ELCA, but it's a much more well-known symbol across denominations. Um, you know, that the way that that hangs is supposed to, um, mimic the way a towel would hang mm. off of a person who was washing feet. Right. Um, Whereas the, the stole of a pastor is to mimic the yoke that um, a, a beast of burden would wear. So, um, so yeah, that, that night uh, is, really, is really beautiful. And I would say for me, I connect very much with those texts, both Monday, Thursday, and the texts of um, the woman washing Jesus' feet as mm. being just incredibly beautiful um, acts of, of service and love that, that are so, um, so humble and so shocking that we, we must stop and take note. 
Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, I think one of the things I find interesting about, um, you were talking earlier about Philip um, mm-hmm. as a deacon. Of course, the other well-known deacon in Acts is Stephen um, mm-hmm. and his um, witness, which basically got him killed, um, mm-hmm. which seems to be mindful of it, at least from what I've noticed um, and observed from deacons, um, both in Lutheran and other traditions, is in some ways they do very much resemble what Christ did on Monday, Thursday, or the washing of the feet with the woman's hair, in that it kind of shocks people, um, both yeah. within and without the church. And I, I think that that's uh, an interesting it's an important witness um, in a way that I think a pastor can't do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of pastors who do <clears throat> diaconal work. Mm-hmm. Really. I mean, you think about the work of advocacy or mm-hmm. for justice. I mean, um, there are, a, you know, I think it comes to mind that poor people's campaign is, is um, headed up by two pastors. I'm pretty sure. Um, but that work is so, diaconal to me you know Mm -hmm. I look at it and say oh this is this is such diaconal work it's you know um it doesn't mean a pastor can't do it right um no but but for me that that's it's and part of I would say part of my call is like that's where my heart is right like um I joked with people in seminary when when we'd have new new students coming in that I helped helped sort of welcome like oh I don't think sacraments are important (laughs) which it's, that is not true. But for me, my heart is not at the basin and at the table. Mm-hmm. I think those things are important. My heart is out in the world mm-hmm. with people who are hurting. And, um, and there's probably a lot of pastors who would agree with that statement, honestly. Uh, but for me, I felt like, no, this is, this is where I'm called to be is, is, is this weird diaconal stuff. I was just rambling, so I don't remember your nope. questions anymore. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't a question. It was more of just an observation of what I, I, I see kind of in the role of, of deacon than that. Um, like I said, it, I think it, it, is a, it is out in the world. It is in some ways also very, as you said, advocacy is one way of doing it. But I think whatever it does, it's, it's always kind of pushing the church into the world. Um, yeah. And it's not that pastors don't yeah. do that. But, you know, I think the role has, as, as it has grown, it has established itself over centuries is really to pull the church and to remind the church where its mission field is. Right. Our mission field is not to keep the members who are already coming to the church happy. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's not it. The, um, yeah, I like the way you said that the um, diaconal ministry when I, you know, when I was going through my formation, had a, a cross that had the infinity symbol as the crossbars. And so I have old, my old um, vestments are towels with that sim- symbol on them. And that symbol represents that, that deacons take the needs of the world and bring them to the church and bring the needs of the church in, out into the world so that it's this uh-huh. constant going in and out of the church, um, crossing boundaries, crossing bridges, um, 
building bridges, that sort of thing. I mean, I think that that image is really helpful in terms of um, it's not a stagnant thing. Um, and that, you know, as the church, we don't have all the answers. Um, and we're not a place that, you know, we have, we have problems that we need, we need the world's help on too. So um, that symbolism can be really helpful if you know what it, what it's about. Mm-hmm. 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 So I'm curious, go ahead. Well, does your um, denomination have a diaconate? <laughs> An official diaconate or a, a lay diaconate? We have a congregational diaconate, and that mm. so there are in most disciple congregations deacons and elders. Um, okay. And of course, the el- I mean, elders that's in very much a holdover from our Presbyterian roots. Um, but okay. the deacons, um, it depends, I think, on the congregation, but they served certain terms. But I think the prob- the the thing that I've always well I've always been more fascinated by the actual kind of for lack of a better term office of a of a, de- a deacon um, is that we don't do a good job in helping people understand the what the biblical role of a deacon was. So mm-hmm. in um, a lot of churches, they end up being um, ushers. Um, mm. that will okay. take the offering and um, do things of that. And that's n- nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it kind of veers away of think of what was the original meaning of a deacon. Um, yeah. And, you know, knowing that I know the what the word deacon means, it's kind of like, yeah, that's not really what we're doing right now. And we, I, right. I would love to see more of a, of kind of an established, um, either a lay or, um, whether it's lay or not, that was more established in that way. Um, yeah. Um, of service. Yeah. Cause you think about, I mean, I think about being an usher as like the most, one of the most core ways to serve the church itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's just like good order and worship. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't, yeah, I don't see that connecting to that that living on the margins and, and um, connecting with those who are kind of on the edge and one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always kind of appreciated mm-hmm. the traditions that do actually have a specific um, office of, of a of deacon, because I think, mm-hmm. I think the church, and we still need that office. We still need to have that role that reminds us of, you know, where our mission is. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think it's, well, I, I know you've, um, you've talked and thought and reflected a lot about like, where's the church going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the more that we serve ourselves, the more down we're going. Yes. Right? And yep. so I have great hope for the future of the church. Um, when when we have deacons rising up because I wouldn't say that I don't care about the institution of the church. That's not exactly true, but I really care about the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, um, I mean, 
telling the good news to someone who really needs who really needs good news mm-hmm. um, matters, and being good news to someone who who needs it matters. Mm-hmm. It's that's what I think transforms. That's where transformation happens. Yeah, I think the the role of pastor is I think is important as it is. The temptation is sometimes that we can get very insular because we're kind of called to an institution. And, and, you know, there's, I, I don't say that as being against institutions, but um, it's just the, that that pull is very internal and, yeah. and there needs to be kind of a, a counter force that is external that can push out um, and remind the people because I think, especially in my tradition, but I see it in others, it can be so easy for the pastor to just kind of just work with who's there in, inside and not really venture out. I think every, <laughs> I think that's in every, I think that's in every denomination, right? Um, in fact, I, I served a congregation that as I was getting to know them and learn their history and that sort of thing, um, they basically had a big split and they, they chased one of their pastors out because they had spent too much time in the community, right? Like they weren't serving us, the church, the oh, congregation. Dear. And that would call us, caused a huge conflict, um, which the people who were telling this story didn't see it that way. <laughs> but for me, it was like, oh my goodness, that's kind of horrifying um, because how awesome is that that your pastor is spending all this time out in the neighborhood and you know with community leaders and organizations and all that kind of stuff um and that that was a problem and you know i think for most churches that pastors have to kind of ride the edge of that you know? we do yeah be involved in the community but not too involved mm-hmm. because we're paying your salary <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be cynical about it, but I think there is that sort of reality. No, I think it is the reality. It's, it's very much the reality. It's something that I feel, and I know probably a lot of other pastors feel, and sometimes they can't deal with that. And I think that's why some people end up leaving the ministry. It's just, they want to be able to, to reach outside of the, of the, the congregation and hopefully have the congregation come with them, but too often they don't want to. Right. Yeah. And I mean, imagine, imagine a world where every congregation had a deacon. I mean, what? I think it would change a lot. The church would change. What would that, what would that Holy Spirit do with us? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that kind of brings up one thing because I've one thing I because I'm and for those who don't know, we are co-workers. We work at the same congregation, at least um, mm-hmm. I do during the week um, is. But I'm starting to see more um, Lutheran congregations with deacons on staff. Um, that mm-hmm. is, seems to be coming more common. Um, is that just something I know? Is I mean, is that 
is that actually a trend or is it just on just kind of seeing it? But um, that seems to be growing that people are more accepting or in, or willing to kind of take on the deacon. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if like, I don't have like statistics about um, people who are on the, the word and service roster. Um, anecdotally, what I can say is that I think as time goes, the more, um, <coughs> the more deacons there are, the more deacons want to be, de- more people want to be deacons. Hmm. Kinda, you know, I mean, um, when I was going through candidacy, I had never met a diaconal minister until I was like three years into seminary, two years into seminary. Wow. And I remember, so how do you imagine being something you've never seen? And the poor diaconal minister I met at a conference, the first one I met, I just sort of like lost my mind and went up to her like, oh my goodness, you're, you know, you're like this unicorn I've been dreaming of. Um, and she did really cool ministry with like disaster preparedness for congregational, hmm. for congregations to be like, um, beacons of supplies and all this kind of stuff when that kind of thing happened. I mean, just really cool on the edge ministry. Um, so, yeah. And I think the other thing is that the unification of the, of the rosters into one role of deacon in the ELCA has um, just put all this, uh, you know, now we have the same language we have, instead of referring to three different things, we just say deacon. So you hear that a lot more. There's that many more people in the roster. Um, when I went through my formation, I mean, people actually would say like, I was the 101st diaconal minister. Like they knew their number because there were so few of them. Um, and when I went through, they're like, please don't refer to your number. We want to stop that sort of trend of, um, of, identifying yourself that way so so there's a lot more deacons than there were deaconesses or diaconal ministers or whatever when those were all um separate entities and also it just um it connects with i think because of that sort of um publicity for lack of a better word pastors know what deacons are now Mm -hmm. at least i have had i'm just trying to count here four calls to be a deacon um, since i graduated seminary only two of those were through the official church process where they were um and one of them was maybe not even that because it was like the Senate office asking me to look at something, but um, where they were intentionally looking for a word and service person, they wanted a deacon to fill that role that the congregation was looking for. The other calls that I found have been jobs. They've been, they've been looking for a lay person. Um, and I've applied for it and said, I'm a deacon. If you want me, you have to go through the call process and work with the Senate. So, um, which is a challenge. And, you know, every denomination, this is like a, (laughs) 
a field of landmines navigating this process. But you know, in the ELCA, for a for a pastor to do that is is very frowned upon. Oh yeah. Um, but for a for a deacon to sort of advocate for themselves, I think is is pretty normal. That you kind of have. You have, if you're going to be a deacon, you have to sort of know how to walk that line um, because the world is still trying to figure out what to do with us. So there isn't necessarily at this point a, a formal call process for deacons. There is. Oh, there is. There now. is. Okay. And it mirrors, it mirrors okay. the pastor call process. Um, every, every congregation must follow their constitution about how to call a rostered leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, I, it, two of my jobs I have specifically applied for with like a resume, which Mm -hmm. the church does not use, uh, and said, I'm a deacon. If your committee decides you want to hire me, it won't be a hiring process. It'll be a call process. You need to refer to your constitution about what that looks like. How did they respond? And if you need help, talk to your synod author. Well, um, you know, two of the congregations, uh, Faith, where, where I serve now is one mm. of them, said, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> we'll figure we'll figure this out. Okay. Um, and I'm trying, I honestly, I don't think I've interviewed for a job with that sort of, um, speech mm-hmm. <laughs> that that I uh since I've become actually become a deacon that that I didn't go on to be, be called into that place so so usually there's a confusion a little bit of confusion <laughs> but but people figure it out because I mean as I'm not one who thinks reading church constitutions is fun but it is helpful when you need, you need a process. You mm-hmm. need to know, okay, how how does this work? I mean, the Constitution just lays it out, and if that formal language is too much for you, your synod office can usually uh, help guide it. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, um, a few more questions before we wrap things up. Yeah. Here is what has. Um, support been like for you? I know, are there groups of where of other deacons where you can kind of talk and um, does the Synod offer things to that extent? How has that helped you in your ministry? Yeah, I think it's very like local or very regional. It tends to be. There is, um, there are Facebook groups. There are like international um uh, organizations for the diaconate, um, for those who are involved in the deaconess community or the Lutheran diaconal association, there's sort of those community things you can, um, elect to join, uh, separately. But for me, honestly, the most, the most support I've gotten in the process is, you know, during seminary, there were a few word and service, um, students who Mm -hmm. said, let's just start a group. So Mm -hmm. we, we started a group called Exploring Diaconia, and we, I mean, it was open to anyone, 
we had speakers, we talked about different issues. We had people who are doing interesting ministry come and share. I mean, it, it really was helpful um, to do that. And then, and now I would say the most um, helpful and supportive thing in the, in the St. Paul area synod of the ELCA, we have a, we have a deacon group. Our bishop actually brags we have the most deacons um, in our synod, which is one, awesome, and two, so great that our bishop knows that and brags about it. Um, that is good. But so, so that group, um, we, you know, we've gotten together and um, done worship and service projects, had different people speak. I mean, we've done some different things like that, but just that collegiality and camaraderie um, is really helpful. The St. Paul Synod a couple years ago also offered a um, preaching cohort for deacons. Um, and so I participated in that because I just thought, well, Barbara Lundblad was leading it. Oh, <laughs> I like, yeah. If I could do it to Barbara Lundblad, I'm totally going to do that. Um, and that was awesome because because one of the things that I think we all shared in common is that, like, I don't preach every other week or every week. So when I do preach, I feel like I got to hit it out of the park. And so um, how do you, you know how do you sort of show up? How do you show up as a deacon when you, you know, you don't, you're not always the front and center person preaching. Um, and so again, that kind of learning together was um, really, really wonderful. But I think it really is so localized and not, you know, not every synod has enough deacons to make a group like that work, but there, there are a lot of places I mean, if there's people who are in the diaconate that are listening or um, there are a lot of places to find that, um, that kind of thing. There's the, yeah, the Lutheran Diaconal Association, the Deaconess Community, um, there's DOTAC. I can never remember what that stands for, but um, there's, I think, Diac I think it's Diaconia of the Americas and Caribbean or something like that is what DOTAC is. Um, and there's there's similar organizations around the around the world actually. So, um, and I'll try to make sure I put some of these organizations yeah, in the show I can, notes. I can get you some of the like links and stuff. So, where do you see the future of the diaconate? Um, do mm -hmm. you see it expanding? Um, have you have you seen it expanding? I, you know, that is a hard question. I think the the thriving of the diaconate is imperative for the thriving of the church. Mm. And um, I, at the same time, I also see denominational bodies who are fearful of good decline and they're <clears throat> fearful of the a reactionary maybe to the um, need for pastors, particularly in rural areas who have, who focus a lot on developing um, pastors for leadership out of that fear. And I don't think that that's, that's a, that's a hard thing. I don't know that that's right or wrong, but I do grieve the, focus on developing 
pastors mm-hmm. only because of that fear of decline of closing church doors kind of um because you think that deacons could also be one of the the signs of renewal or that could help you know right. churches turn around right yeah and part of the issue in the in the ELCA um and and I, again that's where I serve and that's what I'm most familiar with so it's hard for me to to speak of other denominations but um is that in the ELCA deacons um are not permitted to preside over sacraments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in rural areas where there's not enough pastors, if a deacon is called into that place, they they either have to get special permission from a bishop to preside over sacraments, or that community is limited in its ability to celebrate sacraments. Hmm. So that's a that's a hard thing. Right. Um, and I think it depends on the, again, locality. Um, it depends on the bishop and what sort of their take on things is. Um, and also, I mean, it's funny that, you know, three, four years ago, not being able to have a communion every week would have horrified <laughs> many a congregation. And then we went for how many, you know, how long without communion oh, or Lord, communion yes. the way we think communion should be um, because of the pandemic. And, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. It was fine. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really curious, you know, the, the seminary closest to us is Luther Seminary. And I'm really curious about their enrollment and what that, when that looks like um, in terms of, um, students seeking the diaconate and those seeking um, sacramental ministry. Yeah, I really don't know. Hmm. I don't know that they publish that information either. I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere, but. I do know when I, I was going to Luther and this was in the late 90s, mm-hmm. I did not know of any um, people who are um, becoming deacons of any type. Um, My guess is that I, I, that has changed over the last 15, 20 years um, that there's, you know, more people being called into ministry that that's where they're going. But I also know if I look at seminary tracts and all of that stuff, there is not a focus a diaconal focus. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that, um, I mean, when I was in seminary, there was a lot of us, mm-hmm. I mean, there was enough that we had like a group. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah. So th- that, that did change, you know, seminary enrollment, who knows what that graph looks like. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. probably kind of a mess, but, um, yeah, there was enough. There was enough, and I was probably there ten years after you, um, for people to know to know someone. We weren't we weren't silent and invisible um, on campus. 
the, yeah, the other thing too, I think is kind of interesting. So I remember um, when I did this part of my formation, I had to go to Gettysburg and do a class over January and um, folks went to other seminaries. Some of them, they had to, they had to do a diaconal like degree. Whereas um, at Luther, you just chose a master's program. Mm -hmm. Any master's program was fine. I mean, um, one of my friends did an MDiv. Mm. That's the master's program she chose to do diaconal work. Um, where others did, you know, a master in New Testament, um, master's in children's and family. Whatever your focus was, that's what your your academic work was. And the... the um, diaconal call just was a parallel process mm -hmm. um so i mean i it, at least in the lutheran tradition even different seminaries handled it differently mm. um when i went through i would guess that's still the same today um and i'm not yeah i'm not sure about in other places but i i liked it that way because mm -hmm. It let me do academic work based on my in, my interest, mm. um, not just like, oh, here's the class for the diaconal people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, all of my classes were with a whole, you know, there was MDiv, MTH. I don't know. I mean, everyone who was doing a degree was in the same classes. It didn't matter what, and obviously, some of them attracted. You know, the children and family classes usually were people who were doing that degree program or that concentration alongside their MDiv, but not not exclusively. So final question I want to ask is, let's say there is someone out there listening that is maybe in their early 20s and they are they feel a call to ministry and they're feeling a call maybe to the to the diaconate, um, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? What words of encouragement? Mm -hmm. I would say, listen to your passion um, because you're a unicorn <laughs> mm -hmm. and the world doesn't quite always know what to do with you. Uh, but but you knew who God you know who God has created you to be, and and trust that God has a place for you. Um, and I would also say that you know you you have to find people who who get it to journey with you, um, because at least for me there were a lot of voices saying. You can preach, be a pastor, just be a pastor. It'll be easier. <laughs> um, become a pastor. Then, you, you know, you'll be able to get a job. You know, there was, um, if you get a pat, if you become a pastor, then people will respect you. I mean, people who, who cared about me said these things, right. Um, because they, they were real about the about the way the world works. Um, and I didn't listen to them. <laughs> and I'm glad, I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I didn't. 
it's definitely, um, there's definitely been challenges, but I mean, it's not like being a pastor, you, you're not challenged also. Um, uh, yeah. It might just be, <laughs> 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 it might just be different challenges. So yeah. And I would just say, don't be afraid to ask questions and Because every, you know, whatever your denomination or your church polity is, it's going to be different and probably confusing. And especially, especially in denominations where there's not a lot of deacons, like the people you ask might not even know the answers and you might have to keep digging. So, yeah. God has called you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to end it. So thank you so much. Nina. This has been Thanks, a great uh, discussion and I think a hopeful discussion. Um, yeah. And I hope a hopeful message for people out there um, to, to learn a bit more about this important role in the, for the church. Yeah, I, I think so too. And um, yeah, I'm grateful for the conversation. It's been fun. All right. Well, take care. Thank you. All right. Bye. That you enjoyed today's episode. Um, Nina was um, great in leaving, uh, giving me a number of links to the Akinal organizations in the show notes if you are interested in learning more about what it means to be a deacon. Um, I also want to just take a um, reminder, I try every so often to share a, a podcast that I listen to that you may want to listen Um and so I'm going to be a bit selfish in, in that today I am actually uh, hoping that you will look at another podcast that I do. Um, that is the podcast that I do is called Lectionary Q. Um, and Q in, that, in this case stands for um, questions. And so what I do here um, with Lectionary Q is that I spend... Um, usually about 10 to 15 minutes talking to people about a lectionary text from the revised common lectionary um, and then um, discussing it, discussing, just asking some questions, questions that I have when I look at the text um, that people might have. And I think that it's a great way for pastors to prepare for the Sunday, but I, I also and really, really hope that it will um, be something that um people who are in the pews also find engaging and um, and will be able to take part in, in trying to figure out what are those answers to those questions. Um, so you can find out, a little, uh, learn a little bit more about Lectionary Q by going to the website, which is lectionaryq.substack.com. And I'm um, kind of contemplating trying out uh, adding a, an additional episode 
each week that has the narrative lectionary as well. Um, hopefully, we'll see. It, it depends on how much time I have in the week to try, actually try to do that. But I do want people to be aware of lectionary queue um, and consider uh, uh, downloading an episode and listening to it and um, hopefully making it a weekly habit. So um, the final thing I want to let people know about is um, that if you are interested, please consider making a donation and you can, uh, to help support Church in Maine. And you can do that by going to our website at churchandmaine.org. That is it for this episode of Church in Maine. My name is Dennis Sanders. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Godspeed. And I'll see you soon. <music>